uh, instructions for Christian living. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Morning everybody. Should we pray as we come uh, to this great bit of the Bible? Well, it's all great, isn't it? But this, this particular bit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the words you say to us, that you are close. You are for us. We are loved. You know us and you see everything in our lives. And so Lord, we ask now that you'd speak to us. Change us, we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing a series today called G-Force, all about being generous with our lives. And we tend to think of generosity to do with things that we give, uh, but today we're thinking about words, being generous with our words and the power of words. Uh, in 1984, uh, this man, Giles Brandreth, uh, wrote a book. He did some research for this book, uh, wanting to find out how many words the average human, if there is such a thing, uh, uses in their lifetime. Did you know that the average human in their lifetime uses 860,341,500 words in their lifetime? 
I have no idea. I've not read the book. And of course, I'm sure in reality that widely varies depending on your job, depending on who you are and so on. But whatever is true, we speak a lot of words in our lifetime. And all of those words have the power to change lives and the power to destroy lives. And so today we're thinking about using those 860 million words for good. For good. Being generous with our words. You don't need to tell me to tell you that words are immensely powerful. And I don't know if you know who this man is. This man is a man named Roman Kent. He was a, is a Holocaust survivor. He was a Polish Jew uh, in the Second World War and he was in, uh, ended up being in three different concentration camps. His father was killed in the ghetto. His mother was killed in Auschwitz. He remembers in the stories he retells the words, the exact words, the first time he was racially abused, decades later. And he reminds himself and goes now speaking around the world, reminding others of the power that words can have decades after they've left the mouth of the person who said them. He said this, most conflicts start with words. And in the context of the Holocaust, words used by a master propagandist like Goebbels could not have been more powerful. Of course, a word is not a gun. Words don't kill you at once, but they create conditions where people lose their inhibitions about doing dreadful things. And he says this, in the end, words can do far greater damage than a bullet. He went on to say, and some challenging words, I think, for us today. I've noticed over the years that in relation to the Holocaust in the media, there's a tendency to sanitize the past. People say that six million people were, quotes, lost or perished. They were not lost. They were not misplaced. They were imprisoned, starved, tortured, murdered and burned. It was indifference and the silence of people which led to the Holocaust. But he then goes on to say, I tell people not to turn away, to say something, because words can be used for good <coughs> too. And many of us in this room right now know the lasting impact of words in your life. Things said to you, maybe even decades ago, that still resonate, that still ring in your ears so that you don't have the confidence to do certain things because of something someone once said, or you don't have the ability even to look in the mirror without seeing what you see as faults. Lasting words doing lasting damage for the lasting time in your life. But of course, words aren't just negative. Words do very good too. As Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Just ask any coach and the power of words, encouraging, come on, you can do this. And any of us who are parents or any of us who have been with relatives where we've had to encourage them or in friends or in our workplace environment, know the power of words when you get alongside somebody who's not sure and you just speak words of encouragement and hope and you see their posture literally rising as they step forward into something. I remember uh, being with my son Noah in Coxmoor Leisure Centre in the swimming pool, you know there. You know they got that kind of, what do you call it, slide flume thingy. Uh, and uh, you know, 
we were talking about whether to go on it. He wasn't sure, kind of wanted to, but was a bit nervous, all that. And so we had a conversation and we said, well, why don't we just walk up the steps? And so we walked up the steps and he still wasn't sure, but knew he wanted to, but not sure. And he got to the top, looked over, it's very high, daddy. And you know, come on, speak into it. We can do this. Come on, be encouraged. Yeah, we can do it. Imagine how good you'll feel at the end. And then the look on his face when he actually did it, and as we came down into that water and he came out with this massive beaming smile, I've done it. Why? Because words were said to encourage. We know the lasting power of words, both positively and, of course, negatively. And in this series in generosity, we tend to think in our culture about being generous with giving stuff giving money, giving gifts or whatever. But look at this verse from 2 Corinthians that we looked at last week. When thinking about money, look carefully at what the writer Paul says. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Do you see that? The emphasis for him is you do all these things and also excel in giving. And so therefore it is really important that you excel in the grace of speech, speaking well. And so today using our words with generosity to lift up rather than to crush down. This passage that was read to us has four, I think, key thrusts as to what that might look like in our lives. Four ways that we might use our words. And the first is this, use words that are true. Words that are true. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I don't know how many remember this cover of Time magazine when it first came out. I won't, please don't put your hand up. Uh, This was from 1966. And of course, it reflected the mood of the day in which people thought in our newfound swagger and confidence that, yeah, we've, God is now past. We don't need God anymore with all that we're doing and we're going to the moon and we're doing all these things. Is God dead? That famous quote from Nietzsche. Well, of course, that's an outdated thing now. You only need to look at the stats to see that more and more people across the globe are in need of God and are searching for God as more and more people explore different religious systems. But did you see the current Time magazine? This is the front cover. Is truth dead? (laughs) Of course, reflecting the mood of our era with fake news and spin and hot cells and yarns and narratives that we know sell things in which words are used to manipulate rather than convey truth. We'll contrast that with some ancient words from the New Testament. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we're all members of one body. You see, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, is all about a group of people who are a mixed group of people. You've got Jews, you've got Gentiles there. And they found something in Jesus that has changed everything for them. And Paul's urging them that they can be united. They are united. They are one body. And so therefore live accordingly in the way you speak, in the way you act, in the way you live together because of what you've got in Christ. And he talks in the verses previously about putting off your old self, the old way of life, and putting on your new self. 
that in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, you're new. And so therefore live accordingly. And one way of doing that, of course, is the way you speak. Speaking with truth, not like this. We've all done it where we may metaphorically have put our fingers behind our backs, crossing them, hoping that the person we're speaking to never really finds out the real truth. A guy called Gary Chapman wrote a book uh, in which he declares, which is quite helpful, uh, I think, two ways of viewing words. Words can be spoken as bullets or as seeds. And we've all experienced both. Words that are used as bullets are a use of power to win, to end an argument to influence an act of domination. And so we've all been in situations like that where words have been used to destroy, to damage. Or the alternative, of course, is using words as seeds in which the whole purpose is to flourish the relationship, to grow the relationship, to deepen that relationship so that out of this discussion, you are tighter, stronger, more knitted together. Words that are bullets, words that are seeds. And many of us in this room know the pain of the bullets and the beauty of the seeds. Paul says, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor for we're members of one body. But what might this look like in our lives in practical? We know that there's kind of obvious lies. We know that. But what about those sort of mistruths? Well, I was reflecting about ways this might appear in our lives. I don't know, they may work for you. you. If they do, that's fine. The first way this might work is giving compliments when what you're really doing is fishing for compliments back. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Where you praise somebody and they think, wow, he's really building me up. But what you're really doing is hoping that then at the end they say, oh, Tim, da 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 And you've got what you want. What are you using words for there? To manipulate. Falsehoods. Because what you're really meaning is it's about me, not this person. That's one way. Or another way, and you may disagree. Come and speak to me afterwards if you do. It's going to get challenging. Beware of spiritualized mistruths. What do I mean by that? I know sometimes that I've said something about a decision that I've made, but so as to minimize any pain in the relationship, I've said, I think God's asked me to do this. And actually, it's my decision. But I put it on God, A, to appear wise and holy, and B, so that the blame is not between me and them. Do you see what we're doing? Maybe I'm the only one. Come and speak to me afterwards if you fundamentally disagree. Paul says, use words that are true. What they really mean. Not to manipulate, but true words. Just being generous with your words. A second way, though, is to use words that are helpful. May seem obvious, may seem very you know, simplistic, 
uh, but look at verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Other translations of that word unwholesome use the phrase corrupting talk or foul or abusive words. And again, we've all been on the end of those where an off-the-cuff comment has destroyed us for years, long after the person remembers even the conversation. James 3 says these words, the tongue is like is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark, the tongues of fire. And so Paul is writing to these Ephesians saying, just beware. Don't use unwholesome words because they destroy. It's like a fire ravaging through a nation. Be careful and rather use helpful words for building others up. And as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about how this might work in practice, what this might look like in kind of everyday life. And I thought about giving feedback. Now, I don't know, but we're in a culture where we want to give feedback, and it might be in your job, you have to give feedback about something, how it's gone and so on, or certainly in your relationships, it may not be a formal thing, but you're often giving feedback about how things have gone or not. Maybe like me, you're not so good at it. In every aspect of life, giving feedback well is an important thing. We want to do it generously. Uh, And I saw this and I thought it was quite helpful. Here's the feedback grid. So at the top, you've got sort of positive comments, giving positive feedback. Uh, And at the bottom, you've got negative, you know, where you want to sort of critique a little bit and correct or whatever it may be. And then on the left, you've got specific feedback. And then on the right, you've got kind of really general feedback. Those two quadrants have the most impact. So specific positive comments really make a difference for good. And general negative comments really make a lasting difference for ill, for bad. Let me illustrate. So positive comments. If you go up to someone and say, you are great. That might make them feel good, all sweet but it won't have the lasting impact than it was really good when you did X like that. Because that means next time they'll be thinking, oh yeah, that last time worked well, I'll do that and so on. Positive impact that lasts. And the same of course is true of negative ones. Specific negative feedback that needs correcting, for example, saying next time I suggest improving dot, dot, dot. It may sting, it may hurt, But actually, next time what may happen is it may be acted upon. Whereas general negative feedback, that was rubbish, does nothing but destroy. And it means next time they may not even try because it was all rubbish. So be positive in specific ways for people and beware of general negative comments. And again, I'm guessing that there are people in this room that still live with the pain of general negative comments in which they believe they're a failure, they're rubbish, they're useless, they're ugly, they're fat, they're dot, dot, dot. Use words that are helpful. Why? What does Paul say? For building others up. 
lifting them up rather than putting them down. What that means is use words that are not about lifting you up, but are about lifting them up. It's about them. And one way this might apply for us is when you're in different, you know, you're in argument or you're in a discussion where you differ, our culture is one of defensiveness where we have to defend ourselves. And when we think about that, that's often about wanting us to be elevated in the conversation. And so we might suggest something and then somebody comes back with a real, well, well you did this though. It's a defensive action, but actually what it's doing is them trying to lift themselves back up. And so be careful of the way you talk so that we all talk in such a way, says Paul, to build others up, those around us. But Paul goes on though to show a way how to be that helpful. By using words that are personal, and this is the third thing. So yes, use words that are true. Yes, use words that are helpful for building others up. And you do this by using words that are personal. Look again at verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, <laughs> that it may benefit those who listen. If it's about building others up, then it's a good idea to think about how they might best be built up. <laughs> because, of course, we all hear things differently. We all hear praise or encouragement in different ways. So you might want to ask, how best can I encourage you? Some like a card, some like a hug, some like a, you know, some praise of words, some like somebody just doing the washing up instead of them. I love this cartoon. I don't know if you've seen it, in which the wife says, you never listen to me, you only hear what you want to hear. And the husband says, sure, I'll have a beer. <laughs> we receive and hear things in very different ways, don't we? And Paul says, use words helpfully according to their needs so that it might lift them up. So for example, it might be worth thinking about when somebody has done something. If they've just exerted a lot of energy on something and they're tired or drained, it's probably not a good idea to then criticize just then and wait to have that helpful feedback conversation when they've got a little bit more energy to cope. So for example, here on a Sunday morning, there's a good group of people who arrive early to set up the chairs, plug in the cables, get all the tea and coffee and all that sort of stuff. And it's hard work. And actually going up to them afterwards, to the PA team and the people on the visual smile, and saying, you did it brilliantly this morning, does so much more for them, that lifts them, say, yeah, I can do that again. So use words that are personal, use words that are helpful, use words that are true. But there's one more thing. Finally, a great way to be generous with your words is by using words that are full of compassion. Do you see where Paul goes at the end of this passage when, when it was read? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. In contrast, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. You know what that word compassion means? It literally means to suffer with someone. And so when you use words that are compassionate, you are showing that you're right there with them 
as it were, alongside them saying, we're in this together. Rather than looking at them, trying to push them down, as it were, or critique. No rage, no bitterness, no slander, but instead kindness. Forgiving them, because in, as we do so, what we're then doing is lifting them up, not lifting ourselves up. But you may be asking, Tim, that's all very interesting. But I've tried. And sometimes I just say stuff. And it just comes out, and I wish I hadn't. And it's fractured relationships, and it's caused real pain. Well, for others of us, we're still living with that pain of words said either in jest or actually meant. What do we do with all this? And how can we speak with truth and helpfully and personally and with compassion to somebody that has for decades slandered us? What does that look like? Well, do you notice how Paul ends that verse? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The only way that this is possible is by remembering our relationship with God. You see, the only way that we're able to put off our old self and put on our new self, the only way that we can have a new mind is when we see what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Because there we realise this God who sees everything and knows everything is for us and cares for us and loves us and knows us and hears those words and sees that pain and went all the way to the cross for us. So that God is not distant and we just have to try and get our words right enough to please him. But God has come close and in a real act of grace said, I am for you and I've dealt with all that. And it's only then that we realise we are no better, no higher than anyone else. We're just brothers and sisters, broken sinners, saved by the God of the universe. And only then are we able to stand with our friends and say, I don't need to criticise you. I don't need to condemn you. I don't need to try and destroy you because we're equal. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a saviour. And we're all in need of the one who stepped down as our saviour. It's only then that we're able to speak words with truth because we don't need to pretend. It's only then do we hear the words of praise and affection from God. We don't need to sort of fish for them from others. It's only then do we hear those helpful words that genuinely build us up rather than just a fleeting feel-good buzz. And it's only then that we hear those words are personal to us, that you are whoever you are loved. There is no need for shame anymore. And it's only there do we hear true words of compassion, the one who suffered with and for us. And of course, as a result, it's only there do we find freedom from that pain in the past. Freedom that those words that have done such a lasting damage we can be free from because the God of all eternity speaks words of love and affection and grace and hope and mercy over us. That's generosity with words.
may we then be people who respond with generosity to those around us, building up, lifting up, so they might see something of God's amazing generosity to us. Should we pray together? And can I invite you to stand as we pray? there's going to be an opportunity for us to respond Uh, and perhaps particularly for some of us who've had things said to us or over us that has caused lasting pain there's an opportunity for us to have someone pray with us or to simply just reflect on God's great love that there is freedom from that and I guess for others of us We know there's stuff that we've said. Knowing that God is gracious and kind and compassionate. That we can seek his forgiveness and because of Jesus, he gives it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that in Christ you have set us free. That we don't need to pretend We don't need to deceive. We don't need to denigrate others, push them down so that we feel good. We can simply be brothers and sisters, friends, fellow sufferers, fellow broken people, and therefore speak words of grace and hope to build each other up, we pray. Lord, show us what that looks like. Even this week we ask. We pray this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.